Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 17 of Season 5 of Our Minute, the daily podcast, where we yippee our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action film Die Hard 2, Die Harder, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Alan Sanders of The Wilder Ride. Welcome back to the show, Alan. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me back. Well, you behaved yourself yesterday, so, uh, you know. But I still want that first-class meal that my network paid for. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. Yes. You know, you may have overbooked. Well, we'll have to we'll, we'll have to check that out. So minute <laughs> minute seventeen begins with a bike uh, flying up and landing uh, next to a lot of luggage, and ends with Thornburg having to just park it. So Mm -hmm. yesterday we ended things with John chasing Miller on this uh, mail bike, which even after thinking about this for a day, I can't figure out why they have a mail bike in this area, but okay, whatever. (laughs) It's still fun that it's there. (laughs) Well, did you talk about the fact that, and I know we didn't yesterday since we just first saw the bike, but you know, it's, it's a license plate. So I don't know if this was just somebody put that license plate on their bike or it's a decoration. Um, I, I don't know. It's in the front. It's like on the basket. So I think I, I don't look at it as a license plate. Right. But I look like at it, it more came off of a car. Like, yes, th- you think so? Like it looks like a license plate you would put on a car. Uh-huh. I don't know. I, I think it's something that that's to say that this is a male bike, you know? No, I, uh, I, I, I don't know. And it hasn't really bothered me but uh i thought of it as more of a license plate like a vanity plate that somebody just attached to the bike okay i don't know why they would have a vanity plate named mail bike but whatever okay but but again that that uh that makes more sense then we don't have to think about why why there is a bike to deliver mail in the luggage room it just happens to be someone thought it was funny and said okay i'm gonna put this vanity plate on on my bike and that's it and then someone in the production said the same thing. Hey, well, let's just add that there. And then we're gonna screw with I'm, we're gonna screw with Ellen and Rob 33 years from now when they look back and are trying to figure out why is there a mail bike here. All right, here, we go. here. For all we know, there 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 are people in different parts of the airport, and maybe the guy whose job it is to ride around and hand deliver once the mail comes to one central place, they kind of like as the courier within these different buildings. Maybe he goes and delivers it, and he comes and hangs out, and maybe kind of ditches the bike and goes and you know down below and has a smoke or a drink with his friends to get out of doing work for the day. Okay, could be. That that that's another fair uh, assumption as to what's going on. So basically, you know, John falls on the ground after this, and he screams out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's you know doesn't mince words, but also I I love the fact that. You know, you have these like duffel bags that fall on him. You know, the bike, I guess, when it flew up, you know, caused a, a few duffel bags to fall on John. Uh, but, you know, he, he's got his head on one of the, the suitcases, so he should be fine, I guess. You know, and <laughs> now, do you find it interesting that he tackled the guy? They both go end over, yet. I guess the other guy must have just landed on his feet and kept running because obviously John got you know went straight yeah. to the turf. He's on the yeah. ground. Yeah, I mean it's uh, basically uh, Miller 
is just out of there in a second. And I mean, in right after that, we see Miller running away, and he still has his gun in his hand, also. So it's 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 a little strange, but you know, I, I guess that's what's needed here. <laughs> you know, in order in order for mm-hmm. the, the the plot to work, that's what they need. You know, they need Miller to run away so that we get to see Miller. You know, have one more main uh, scene. Of, uh, actually, I think it's later at the end, end of this week. And then after that, we just see him, but he doesn't open his mouth at all. You know, the next thing is we, we have a cop, you know, that, that uh, you know, we see a gun pulled on John. And then we get a shot from below. I, I, it's a great shot, you know, where you see the, the cop above us and, you know, the homeless, uh, the homeless guy uh, standing there grinning from ear to ear this whole time, right? And uh, the cop, you can see that his name is R. R. Carlson uh, from the airport police. And he goes, freeze. And then John goes, nice guess, I'm a cop. That was the bad guy. You know, and, uh, (laughs) you know, then it's, it's, It, it makes a lot of sense that the cop will think of that, but you'd think that the, you know, that, that, that the homeless guy would have said, oh, no, this is the guy who told me to call you. You know, it would have been a little more plausible right. at that point, you know, that, uh, you know, for, for him to vouch that John's the guy who told me to call mm-hmm. you. Given that the co- that we heard them even over talking the fact that he flashed right. a badge to come into the back. Exactly. Room. So he could have said, yeah, he showed me a badge, but. Then again, the, his acting ability may be the max we're getting right now. They may not have been able to trust That's him with the line. That's a good point. <laughs> and then, so Carlson then says, where's your ID? And then John, like, pats his, his uh, waist, pats his belt, and then uh, looks up and grins and goes, on its way to Cleveland? <laughs> Which is a great line. <laughs> you know, I, I, I like the way that they, uh, you know, that, that, that he does it. You know, it sounds as if it's just something that he possibly ad-libbed here. Do you think he ad-libbed it, or do you think we're going to find it in the uh, in the script later? What, what do you think? Uh, I, I honestly don't know. I think it's so well-delivered that I would believe either one. If you had said that it was just a well-written line and he just delivered it, I'd say, sounds good. But uh, it could very well be ad-libbed as well. So we'll find out. I did not read. I know you attached the script to the files to send to all of us, but I like working straight from what I'm seeing as the, as the movie versus the behind the scenes. Now, when I run a show, as you know, I love having the script to kind of call out little things, but as a guest, I try to make sure I leave that to you. So we'll have to find that out later. That we will. So let's talk about Cleveland. All right. (laughs) What what do you know about Cleveland? Uh, Rock and roll hall of fame. Okay. But that is something way down on my list here. <laughs> it is something that I will eventually. I know Drew. I know Drew Carey did his show there. The Drew Carey show was that is correct. Cleveland. Also, that is also something I have here. I know that their uh, baseball team is the Indians. Not anymore. Used to be anyway. <laughs> It'll always be. What are they Indians called now? To me. <laughs> what are they? The 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 defenders. Yeah, I think something dumb like that. Yeah, I I agree with you on that one. <laughs> so Cleveland is the second largest city in Ohio and the 54th largest city in the US with a population of uh as as of 2020 372,000 people um it was founded in 1796 uh right near the mouth of the uh Cuyahoga River by a man named General Moses 
Cleveland, hmm. surprisingly, right? And but he spelled Cleveland with an A, C L E A V E L A N D, and this the city is without the A, right? Um, it was a uh, it is a port city that connects to the Atlantic Ocean via the St. Lawrence, Lawrence uh, Seaway. Okay, sometimes it is known, one of the nicknames is, is the Forest City. I, I don't necessarily know why. I guess there are a lot of uh, uh, trees around there. Maybe possibly. at one time. <laughs> Maybe very early, very early in its settling. But uh, I'm yes. not sure how many trees are around there possibly. now. I mean, I'm sure there's trees, no, probably but not I don't that know that you say it's a forest city. That'd be like saying Detroit is a forest city. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> Well, there's there's a lot of wood in the houses. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So the the you know, I, I mentioned before that that the the name of the city was changed so that it didn't have an A in it. Mm-hmm. And there's a myth that the reason that happened was that uh, when they uh, the newspaper, the Cleveland Advertiser began, um they didn't have enough room in their masthead, so they took out the A. In order for it to fit in, whether it's true or not, I don't know. But it's just pretty—it's a pretty funny uh, thing mm. during the Civil War period. So it was uh, there. There were many abolitionists who lived in Cleveland, and Cleveland was known as Station Hope, and it was a major stop on the Underground Railroad. The very first m- film that was shot in Cleveland was in 1897 by Thomas Edison, who himself was uh, from Ohio. A number of different movies that are set in in Cleveland. Have you ever seen uh, Fist with Sylvester Stallone by uh, Norman Jewison? Uh, was that the uh, the the labor union movie? Yes. Mm-hmm. That was a labor I, union. A long, it took place... long, like so long ago, I couldn't tell you much more than what I just told you. Okay, Let's rewatch. That's it. fair. Mm, I I saw it a few years ago. I I wasn't that impressed with it. Oh really? You know, but that that's me. I mean, maybe you'll like it. You know, to to everyone has their own taste in movies from that perspective. Um, the movie uh, Almost Famous has some key scenes that take place in Cleveland. Um, Antoine Fisher takes place in Cleveland. There is a movie called Welcome to Collinwood, which was made by uh, Joe and Anthony Russo, you know, of Captain America yeah, and uh, Russo, the Avengers fame. That's right. Mm-hmm. They're they're originally from Cleveland, so they they had a movie that they made there, one of their first movies, Welcome to Collinwood. A draft Day with Kevin Costner takes place there, where he is the general manager of the uh, football team, the Browns, and most famously, uh, the movies Major League and Major League Two take place in Cleveland because it's all about the Cleveland Indians, mm-hmm. not the Guardian. Ah, the Guardian. I think they're called Guardians. the Guardians. Guardians. Yeah, I think so. I, again. Yeah, should should the still, still be the right? The Washington National. Wait, was it the Washington? Was the the Redskins are Redskins now something. Else. Are now the Commodores. Okay. Somebody's the Commodores, but they're from Washington D.C. So we just sell it. We just say that the Washington Commies for short. There you go. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, as you mentioned, uh, Drew, the Drew Carey Show takes place in Cleveland, and uh, there's also another show that that uh, called Hot in Cleveland. Which uh, Cleveland, took place in Cleveland. Yes. one of the last yes. shows that Betty White worked on. That's right. That's right. So I, I went through and I found a list of a whole bunch of famous people. And most of them I'm going to talk. I'll just briefly mention 
you know, they're they're mostly actors who were were born in Cleveland. Uh, Jim Backus, do you know who that is? Yeah, great. Uh, uh, Thurston Howell III and the voice of Mr. Magoo. That is correct. How did we get stuck on this island with such common riffraff? <laughs> very good. Very good. Um, Major Barrett, do you know who that is? Not off the top of my head. That's Gene Roddenberry's wife, who oh, did the okay. voice, who did the you know the voice of of the computer in Star Trek, all those years. Uh, Haley Barry was born there. I know, I know Halle Berry. Uh, Halle Berry, sorry, Halle Berry. Uh, Jim Brown, you know, Jim football Brown, player. A football player. Well, I know him more from the Dirty Dozen, but yeah, you know, yeah, but I Jim always Brown. I always think of. Yeah, that's right. I always think of of him either either from from the Dirty Dozen or from The Running Man, you know, mm-hmm. where it he plays old, Fireball. Uh, uh, one of my favorite comedy albums I would listen to when I was uh, in high school was a Richard Pryor album, and he talked about how bad and how mean Jim Brown was when it came to football. And suppose I don't know if it's a real story, but but the way Richard Pryor told it is he goes, one day Jim Brown literally bit the finger off of somebody. And they asked him after, like, why'd you bite his finger off? He goes, well, I figured anything outside the helmet was his, but everything inside the helmet was mine. <laughs> that is definitely a great line. Um, Tim Conway is from Cleveland. Who? I'm sorry? Tim Conway? Tim Conway. Yes. Yeah, Tim Conway. Yes. Uh, long yeah. time with the uh, Carol Burnett show and uh, right. the Apple Dumpling Gang and comedic actor and very, very funny guy. Talk about improv. And worked, that guy and worked a lot with Harvey Harvey Corman. Harvey You're, Corman. Yep. There you go. Uh, Wes Craven. Ah, great director. Brought us the original uh, Nightmare Before uh, Nightmare Before, uh, The Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of other really good creepy movies, but yes, great director. Yeah. Phil Donahue. Oh, talk show host. Yep. Who, who pretty much started the whole, you know, the the the, the way that you know the the controversial uh, you know talk shows. Stuff like that. Like the, the daytime um, television talk show, yeah. That's right. Um, Joe Esterhaz. Oh, that's another uh, director. No, well, he was a director and a screenwriter. You know, he did like yeah. Basic Instinct and uh, Showgirls and stuff like that. Um, James Garfield, the 20th president of the U.S. Terry Garr. Joel Gray. Arsenio Hall. Give a shout out to Terry Garr from my first season of our podcast, The uh, Young Frankenstein. That's right. That's right. Um, Arsenio Hall, Hal Holbrook, Bob Hope, Carol Kane. Oh, yeah. You... <laughs> From The Prince of Bride and many, many other things. That's right. Um, Jim Lovell. <laughs> Jim Lovell, oh, the, the astronaut. Yeah. That's From, right. Uh, Apollo 13. The space program. And it was the main character that Tom Hanks played in Apollo 13. Apollo 13. That's right. Uh, Burgess Meredith. Burgess Meredith, the Rocky franchise, among other things. And well, mm-hmm. The last two movies he did were the uh, Grumpy Old Men and Grumpier Old Men. That's right. And, you know, I always loved him as as the the, the penguin in Batman. Uh-huh. You know, the Batman the original TV show. 1966 television show, yeah. That's right. Um, Paul, Paul Newman. Wow, really? From Cleveland? Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard of him. Yes, I'm sure you have. <laughs> Robert Patrick, who we're going to see in a few oh. months from now. The T-1000. You know, the T-1000, but also he's in this movie. You know, uh, he has a very small part, but he's in this one. Uh, Alan Ruck. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, television, like sitcom? No. Who that is? 
No. Alan Ruck. That name is so familiar. Bueller. Bueller. Oh, Fry. yeah. Bueller's the elf. Yeah. Fry. He played his friend. <laughs> That's right. Um, Joe Schuster and Jerry Siegel. The creators of Superman. Ah, okay. And this one hatched some impressive people. (laughs) That's right. And this last one is the one that shocks me the most is George Steinbrenner. Owner of the Yankees? Yeah. He he, he, he was born in Cleveland, huh? Uh, Yeah, apparently. Yeah. All right. right. Now, wouldn't everybody just assume he was born in New York City? That's what I would have assumed too. That's why. Right, cool. You know, they 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 sh- they shock us on these things as as it goes along. What can I tell you? <laughs> so John basically uses the 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 joke that uh, you know on his way to Cleveland, as he's you know looking for his badge, he 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 does it really well. You know the the way that he responds here, and then the the shot changes and we're on. We, we see in a, a fake airplane <laughs> flying in a <laughs> fake sky <laughs> with mm-hmm. F. Half of the lights on and half of the lights off, uh, you know, in the cabin. Um, you know, well, I, I don't I, think it's the lights on or off. It's they've closed the shade. It could be. It could be. That's right. <laughs> it's you can see the lights. Excuse me. You are correct. That's it's that. But it also looks that you know we're it's still dusk. It's not dark yet. We, we aren't there right. yet. We get to see that this is an NEA airline, Northeast, which is basically a joke on Northwest. You know, and they do that really well here. <laughs> you know, um, creating they a new have a airline. Northeast airline, though. Um, there was a Northeast airline. I, I, it may have been absorbed by the time they made this movie. Right. As far as I'm as far as sure I know, there... as far as I know, in in 1990, there was not a Northeast airline. You know, I know that there no, was. It was. Um, there was Northwest, and there was also it, Southwest. Right. I believe Northeast airline was like a small. Um, a small airline that connected, like uh, it was regional. It was like the northeast. It was like Boston. And it was it was based in Boston and yes, kind of it did was... the northeast corner of the U.S. Wow, that's very good. And it was from 1931 to 1972 they flew. Yeah, I think they I think they got absorbed into Northwest, ironically, didn't they? But I assumed I I did assume that the makers of this movie weren't going to use any real airlines that were going to necessarily be in peril. Yeah. Right. So, okay, they were they were gonna they wanted to merge with Northwest, and then Northwest terminated the the idea, and then they ended up oh. merging with Delta. Oh, oh, okay, okay, all right. Yeah, well, which which cool. which means you're halfway right. You know, by saying that that you know they it would have made sense that Northwest and Northeast would have uh, you know joined mm-hmm. together, but here they decided to, to you know just just go with the Northeast. You know, so we we get to see the plane, and you know, the, it's nice special effects because you see the the blinking lights, you know, on the bottom of the plane, on the top of the plane, stuff like that. You mm-hmm. know, showing showing that 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 it is a workable aircraft theoretically. And then we get the internal of the aircraft, and we we get to see a, um, you know, you get to see someone pull back like a a what was that thing called? A, well, it's the separating curtain. curtain from first Sorry, class right. and the right. and the you, rest of the riffraff. Right, you get to you get to see the someone common people. That's right. <laughs> someone push away the 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 curtain, and then we get to see that it's uh, Thornburg. You know, we, we haven't seen mm-hmm. him. 
And as he walks in, we get to hear him continue to talk. And he says, no, you did not explain anything. All you did was shove me back here into this cattle car. We see one of the stewardesses show up and she says, sir, you were told when you were boarded that we were overbooked. Fine. Done. I accept that. But why in the hell can't I get the first class meal my network paid for? Do you know who I am? So <laughs> let, let's let's start picking this apart, you know, about what he's talking about here. So, you know, he apparently goes up to first class and is complaining about the fact that he is not getting a first class meal. That's his complaint. You know, he's okay to sit in the the we we can tell this is business class. This isn't this isn't uh, economy class. Okay, but still, you know, the the something is 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 off here with the with the way that that this whole scenario is is happening. You know, because I actually think he's lying. I think he was trying to get his seat in first class, and now he's trying to like, okay, fine, fine. I, but I still don't understand why I can't get my meal. Like he's he's one of those little whiny kids. He's trying to get at least some of his way if he can't get all of his way. I mean, he's he's. Isn't he kind of a petulant child? Yes. Yeah, for sure. There, there's no question about that. But that's that's the way that he acts here. Um, and, you know, so so the idea then is, you know, I never understood the whole idea of, of being overbooked. Like, why does a, why would an aircraft, why, why is it in the aircraft's interest to overbook a flight? So, uh, I only know a little bit about this because I had a friend who kind of worked tangentially in airlines that they realized after the number of years being in this business, there were always people who showed up late, people who just canceled, got sick. So they'd rather chance. But they're still paying. But they're still paying. If you miss your flight, you've paid for the flight. You don't get a, a refund. Oh, but if you're running late or, or you're running behind or you miss your connecting, they'll put you on another flight. And they know that they're going to try to keep you, you know, getting to your destination. But if they can get a double book seat and you end up getting pushed to a seat on the next plane that may only be half sold, then they end up selling more tickets overall because they wouldn't have sold that ticket to begin with. So they'd rather sell more tickets to an earlier flight. And if they have to shove some people back or even bonus them some sky miles or something like that, they'll do it. Okay. All right, that, that that is fair. I mean, I did a little bit of research on on the idea of bumping and stuff like that. Do you know what the official uh, name for bumping someone is called? I, besides bumping, I didn't know. No, well, that's that's the slang term. The real term is denied boarding. <laughs> you are denied boarding. That's right. No soup for you. you have five seconds to comply. <laughs> no soup for you. <laughs> no soup for you. No seat for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that actually it frustrates me because I know you'll hear that. You'll be in the airport and they'll say something to the effect of this this flight has been overbooked. If you're here and checked in, you've got a seat, but if you have not yet checked in, come see us. Right. And it's like, well, what are you gonna do? <laughs> you know, I have you ever been bumped? I thankfully have never had that problem of having a, a seat that was overbooked. Ah. I've been on flight, <laughs> but I've never been bumped. Okay. I, I've told this story before, but I remember in 1992, I was flying from Denver to Detroit, and it was a Sunday afternoon, and they said that the flight was completely overbooked. 
And so when I went to check in, I said to them, I said, look, you know, I'm willing to be bumped. You know, so they put me on a list and I waited around and then they started boarding people and stuff like that. And little by little, they started calling people and then they called my name and they're like, and so I said, well, you know, I'm willing to be bumped. And they're like, no, get on the plane. And then some guy came over to me. Some guy came over to me because I was like, hey, I'll get a free flight. What do I care? You know, they, they have to make sure that I get back to Detroit. Plus, they'll give me maybe a free ticket or or, or some money or whatever mm-hmm. it is. I wasn't in any rush. So what do I care? And then some guy came over to me and said, I'll give you 500 bucks for your ticket. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay, I would do that. And the ticket guy was standing there and he heard this and he goes, you can't do that. And I said, why not? And he said, and remember, this is 1992. This was 10 years. This is nine years before 9-11. And he goes, because you're not allowed to fly under an assumed name. And if you mm-hmm. if you sell him your tickets, then you have a problem because we won't put you on another flight. And I was like, uh, okay, that I'm not willing to. I'm not willing to go that far <laughs> to you know to get a free flight right. or something like that. Because then you know I need to deal with you know finding a way of of getting there. So I got on the flight. Obviously, it was jam packed. Very uncomfortable uh throughout the entire flight because of that but that that's as close as i got to being bumped i've heard stories of people that have been bumped and got like you know free tickets to anywhere in the world and you know they, they these airlines are willing to give anything just so that they don't look like idiots you know by the fact that they overbooked yeah the closest that ever came to me is when i was internationally traveling and we came into charles de gaulle airport as a connecting flight to get back home from the netherlands and our plane was so late arriving that we missed the connecting flight. Like everywhere, there was like 30 people who were all on the connecting flight that had to leave. It couldn't wait any longer for us. And it wasn't our fault. They knew the, the plane was late leaving the Netherlands. So it was late arriving. So it was late, even though it was booked as a connecting flight schedule. <laughs> so they put us up in a hotel overnight, took care of the hotel, took care of the meal. But had to come back the next day and take the early morning flight right. to get back home. I had to stay an extra day because of that. Right. So it wasn't a free ticket. They just put us up in a hotel and fed us. Okay. That, that's still something. You know, at least they, they took care of you there. We've, we, you know, we, we've all heard stories of people that, that got stuck, you know, and we're not just talking about Neil and Dell. You know, there are other people around there also <laughs> who've had these problems. You know, sometimes they actually will, will uh, you know, bump, they'll, 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 they, they generally don't force somebody to, to, to give up their seat. You know, they, they ask for volunteers, first of all, and then, uh, you know, then they look to see, okay, someone who has been late and didn't yet check in and stuff like that. Those are the type of people that they will bump. First of all, sometimes they will bump because they, they need room for, for the federal air marshal, you know, so that then they will forcibly get rid of somebody if they, they need that to happen. Um, I mean, I looked up about compensation and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's unbelievable what some of these airlines are willing to to pay in order to uh, you know to to give people you know to to get them to to get bumped. You know, sometimes they will give you. It depends on how long the 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 delay will be till your next flight. Okay, so if mm-hmm. you're you're uh, if you only have to wait like an hour or two. They generally will give you uh, 200% of a one-way fare with a maximum compensation of about $775. And if it's over two hours that you'd have to wait, then they're willing to give you up to $1,500 to, to pay for it. Uh, sometimes it could be also they'll give you a free flight. They'll give you uh, you know a uh, 
sometimes you get extra mileage for it. Like yeah. sky miles. I've heard mm-hmm. that a lot. Like if you decide to voluntarily give up your seat, it's worth 50,000 sky miles. And for people who spend those points, that, that could be a couple of flights depending on for, where they're going. So they would easily yeah, take it. for sure. Um, and I, I was, I saw also a list of different reasons why they sometimes uh, are, are able to bump people without any compensation, right? So if they have to change the aircraft, you know, they, they decide to use a smaller plane instead of a larger one. Okay, um, they don't need to give them compensation. They just say there's no room on the plane. That's it. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. if, uh, you know, someone is being downgraded from a higher class to a lower class. So the the passenger then is entitled to a refund, but they're not entitled to get any type of other compensation. You know, they'll say, okay, you're flying now in economy. So you paid X for the flight. We're willing to give you back Y. Because of that, you know, you can't really fight those type of things, stuff like that. Which, which brings me to the next idea about the different classes on planes. Okay, so there's, there's, do you know when they started the idea of separating classes on planes? Oh, I don't know when, but I want to try to take an educated guess because when it became a little more affordable and more people were maybe making a little bit more money, and we realized that the people who could afford to travel wanted to be excluded or at least sectioned off from the common riffraff. Would it been in the 50s? Right after World War II? Yes, it it, it was in the 50s. Yes. Any guess what airline? America. No, no. It was 1955. TWA. TWA. Trans World TWA, Airlines. The, Is it Trans World Trans, Airlines? Trans World Airlines. Okay. So they decided to have two different types of services on their planes. You know, they'd have about 10 seats or, or the first cabin of the flight where they had they, they called it first class, where you would have more space, comfort, service, and obviously the most important thing for people is privacy, you know, which is why, you know, they, they always, they close that, that, that curtain and don't want to let anybody in. You know, uh, Seinfeld has a whole skit about that, you know, a whole bunch of jokes about, you know, that they, you know, you can't come to first class, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And basically, why did TWA do this? In order to be able to charge people more money. That's what it comes down to. And then they usually have like their own bathroom you know there's a laboratory for the for uh, you know for for the first class passengers and stuff like that and no one else is allowed to 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 come into that area now when do you think they added the idea of business class let's go with the 70s by that okay according to the information i found it was in the 90s they started with that wow okay yes and the whole idea there is to you know, there, there were a lot more business people that were flying. So it made more sense to, 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 to start catering to them where you get some of the uh, anemones of the of, of first class and some, you know, from economy class. You know, the idea is it's, it's you know, you might have larger seats and, and uh, you know, if you're Holly McLean, you'll get some champagne, which we'll talk about later this week. You know, things like that, because it, she's not in first class either. You know, she might be the CEO of a company, but, you know, we, we know she's not in first class. Mm-hmm. Then, obviously, you have economy class, which is also known as either third class or coach class, or on ships, it's known as steerage. <laughs> and nowadays, they have different different fares for different classes within economy class. You know, depending on, you know, sometimes they'll give you a better seat. You know, some things you might have a little more leg room and things like that. You know, they, they now was, they have what's known as premium economy class. 
you know, the, the idea is just, you know, uh, just make up some names for stuff and stuff like that. You know, usually in premium economy, the seats are a little bit larger and, uh, you know, they give you different, better dining options. And sometimes they will give you complimentary alcoholic beverages and things like that. So, uh, yeah, it, uh, there are classes here and our good friend Thornburg is a little upset that he's not in first class. And at this point, you know, he, he says, do you know who I am? Hmm. And then we get the first of the, the two stewardesses, a woman named Sherry Bilsting. Who, you keep saying stewardesses, but you're going to alienate your modern audience. These are flight attendants. In 1990, they're stewardesses, and they are I mentioned. know, but okay. <laughs> you should at least acknowledge we don't call them that anymore. Uh, correct. But, but you know, in, in the credits, that's how they are credited. As stewardess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not saying it to be belittling, not at all. And I mentioned this with plane changes and automobiles also. And and I also mentioned it in when we did when I did Die Hard. You know, it's not meant as a derogatory term. That is the term that was used at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yes, the first one, her name is Sherry Bilsing. And what I found really interesting on IMDB is she only has five acting credits. Really? But she is a producer and a writer. She produced 113 episodes of friends well what do you know about that that's right (laughs) and as a writer she also wrote a whole bunch of episodes of friends she wrote 17 episodes of friends and three episodes of joey oh cool yeah and she also wrote 21 episodes of veronica's closet so she (laughs) She's pretty good there. And yeah, so what, I guess she decided uh, she was more interested in the, you know, writing the story and producing rather than being on the camera. Yes. Yeah, that's what I, I would say that too. And so then we, she says, yes, we've seen your program. Your episode, Flying Junkyards, was an objective look at air travel, was a very objective look at air traffic. Uh, safety. <laughs> the second air hostess. Okay, did I get that right this time? Flight attendant. Flight attendant. <laughs> flight attendant. I think you actually got worse when you said air hostess. <laughs> it wasn't meant that way. Okay. The second flight attendant says. These are made it, by hostess. That's right. <laughs> it wasn't nearly as edifying as Bimbos of the Sky. Was it Connie? (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, Thornburg gets a little bit uh, sort of embarrassed by this whole thing. And then he goes, you think you're funny? You think you're funny? Fine. I've got your number. And then she turns to him and goes, and I've got yours. So park it, sir. (laughs) So the the second flight attendant, his name, her name is Carla uh, Tamborelli. Okay, she has, uh, she also is a producer, and she uh, produced nine times the SAG Awards between 1998 and 2006. 
And for anyone here who is a fan of City Slickers, she played Phil's wife, mm-hmm. um, which I when, when I first read that, I was like, huh? And then when you look at her, you're like, wow, if you put a lot of makeup on this woman and you change her hairstyle and stuff like that and her voice, it fits in perfectly. You know, I, it's I think, almost like actors can become something other than who they are. Yeah, what a, what a shocking surprise that that's. I possible. know in our modern day audience out there, there's a lot of them going, "Well, you should only cast people who are what you're looking for." Then that wouldn't be called acting. <laughs> that is correct. That is very correct. Now, I I love the fact that he sits down, you know, in his seat. We we get a shot as he's sitting down, and we see that that Holly notices him. Mm-hmm. You know, as well, as how he's... can you not notice the scene? I, th- I think they look up a couple of times. They show that she's obviously paying attention to this little diatribe. Correct. You know, and then and then he, yeah, I I, I would say that that these uh, flight attendants probably have crossed the line with the way that they they are talking to him. Not that Thornburg hasn't crossed the line himself by talking this way. You know. But I, I don't know. It's it's. I think it's a little bit too much. They're they're acting a lot with a lot of chutzpah here. I guess you can say by the way that they're responding to him. But you know what? What I like about the writing of the scene, and you're right. I mean, at some point, he could have a legitimate reason to create a problem for them if he were to call and complain, and he might when he gets back. But what I love about it is the writer and or the director is saying we may not have everyone in our audience know who this character is what a complete schmuck what a jerk and so in this very short reintroduction of thornburg in die hard 2 by having this scene play out he's obviously wanting something special he wants to be treated special he at least wants his meal and then they're like do you know who i am it's like oh yeah you're the guy and you realize in a very short period of time The audience doesn't need to have seen Die Hard 1 to know exactly who Thornburg is. That's right. He's he's the kind of person that the kind of reports he puts out, the kind of news, he doesn't care who he throws under the bus, how he treats people. And and these stewardesses, these flight attendants, as much as they're trained to deal with jerks, you get the sense that if they're willing to shake off their professional decorum to tell him what they really think about him, how bad is, is Thornburg? That's right. That is very true. I mean, he's... So from the writing and directing, I love it. I I love because it establishes tone and character and even backstory in like 20 seconds. Yeah. Yeah, this is like very reminiscent of... They're making him sound like he's the Geraldo of the the era. You know, that that they know all about him. They know that he's done, you know, these exposés on flying junkyards and bimbos of the sky. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, they find their time to sit and watch it because, you know... I guess it was interesting for them to actually watch it with those titles, you know. <laughs> well, or they watched in in horror at how they've been either misrepresented or like any kind of news story, you can only tell a piece of a story and convince people that every airline is the same and every stewardess is the same and every, and so yeah, I'm or it could very well be that uh, they caught wind from their friends like, "Oh my god, did you see that special? I didn't know how dangerous it was." <laughs> for our and they're like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> You gotta go see it. You gotta go see it. And this wasn't a time where you can find it on YouTube or download it or whatever. Right. You can't stream it. <laughs> That's right. Not at all. All right. Uh, do you have anything else for 
for this minute before we get into the script. No, I, I'm, and I obviously I spent some time talking about the tone, but I like that you kind of organically brought it up because I did want to talk about how I love when a sequel remembers that there's going to be people in the audience that haven't seen the pre the, the previous one or may have barely remembered it for whatever reason or whatever. And you still need to, if you're going to keep the same characters, you have to still reintroduce. And I think sometimes where sequels fail, they give you way too much dialogue. They give you too much uh, exposition to kind of catch you up. They didn't have to do that. Here. And I, and I right. think that's a combination of good writing and good directing. And, and let's face it, some pretty good acting too. Yes, definitely true. So the, the, the script has very few changes here, but uh, I'll still talk. So instead of John saying at the beginning, uh, nice guess, he says, brilliant. Again, doesn't make a difference. It's just, you know, a way that, that uh, the way he delivers it. Cleveland is in the script. That was not uh, a Bruce Willis uh, ad lib. That was something that, uh, you know, he made his own, but he didn't ad, ad lib it. Now, when it brings up Thornburg, so it, it starts off by saying we hear just his voice, and then we hear the stewardess's voice, and then it says Holly looks up idly and then reacts as she sees Dick Thornburg, her nemesis from <laughs> 20 months ago, waving his ticket and fending off the stewardess's friendly hands. And then he says, fine, done, I accept it, but why the hell can't I get the first class meal my network paid for instead of this swill? So they, they, they cut that one a little bit. And she says, I'm sorry, sir. I just can't do that now. If you'll just sit down. And then he goes, do you know who I am? And then they have the flying junkyards, the, the bembos of the sky. And then uh, when Thornburg says, do you think you're funny? It says he looks at her name tag and then says, I've got your number. And then she goes, and I've got yours. So park it, pal. Uh, I, I like <laughs> it better. I like it better that she says, park it, sir. You know, it gives it a little bit more weight. The, the fact that she does it that way. Mm -hmm. So every Tuesday, we have a segment called Disaster Tuesday, which uh, this is sort of an homage to uh, my friends, the, the Midnight Boys from the Titanic Minute, which what they did was every week they talked about some sort of ocean disaster. So I talk about some sort of aircraft disaster that happened over the years. Uh, what I generally try and do is try and find little stories about people that, that we might actually know that you know, might have heard of famous people that uh, that died in plane crashes. So the I'm, I'm pretty sure that your answer is going to be no, that you've never heard of this person. But have you ever heard of William Devereux Byron II? Not at all. OK. Not even. OK. No, no I, I figured that. Um, so he was a US congressman from Maryland in from 1939 to 1941. And he was killed in a plane crash uh, not far from where you live, in Atlanta, uh, in on February twenty seventh, nineteen forty one. I know it was before you were born. You were, you were. It was long before you were born, but it was also before you were living in in Georgia. Um, he was actually challenged for his seat by uh, the Baseball Hall of Famer uh, Walter Johnson, who he narrowly beat in order to, to get his seat in Congress. He was on Eastern Airlines Flight 21, which was uh, en route from New York City to Brownsville, Texas, and it had stops in Washington, D.C. and Atlanta. Um, and it was as it was approaching Atlanta's Chandler Field, 
the the plane crashed and it killed nine of the 16 people on board, including Byron. Okay. Um, one of the people on his plane, I'm sure you have heard his name, was Eddie Rickenbacker. Have you ever heard that name? Oh, yes. Oh, we don't need to take up like the audience's time with hearing me trying to like get my brain cells to file that from like the back room and pull it out of the uh, the National Archives right next to the Ark. Eddie Rickenbacker. Oh my God, you're gonna tell me and I'm gonna be so mad. Like that's like not even a common name. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're gonna have to tell me. Okay, he was a World War One flying ace, and he became the president of Eastern Airlines. Yes, he was a flying ace, that's dummy. Right. Yes. God, I'm mad at myself now. I, you know what? I don't deserve to be on the show. <laughs> so what what apparently happened was is that uh, the plane hit hit the top of of a bunch of trees, and that's what actually caused the 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 problem. About five miles southeast of of uh, of Atlanta, the, it hit uh, the top of of a bunch of pine groves, and that that actually brought the mm. plane down. Um, Eddie Rickenbacker actually survived. Okay, now just listen to all the different injuries that he got. Okay, he had a dented skull, other head injuries, a shattered left elbow, crushed nerve, paralyzed left hand, broken ribs, crushed hip socket, uh, twice broken pelvis, a severed nerve in his left hip, a broken left knee, and his left eyeball was expelled from the socket. Okay, after months of recovery, he uh, at months in the hospital after after a few months in the hospital he had a full recovery and even regained full eyesight. You know, think about it. this is 1940s. They were able to you know to to fix him up. He's he's really a, like a Robocop. You know, where they, they just fixed him up. Yeah, he's that's actually amazing. he's a six million dollar man. That's that's who he is. <laughs> um, he when when he testified uh, about the crash later on when they were doing the investigation. So he said that he felt a slight bump and then he jumped from his seat and started to move towards the rear of the aircraft uh, and then it crashed. But again, he, he survived, you know, uh, six people, only six, six or seven people survived it. So that's, uh, you know, that's still pretty amazing. Wow. Yeah. That's especially the time period, not exactly the same kind of safety protocols and features that we have today that we're just, you know, we all ignore those safety lectures, but, Planes are much safer yes, today than they've sure. ever been. Yes. Wow. Yes, that's, it that's is crazy. And and that's why I like doing this segment, even though it sometimes can be a little bit of a downer, you know. But uh, you know, it's 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 a learning experience. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Alan, you want to tell people where they can find you? Yeah, you can find my show. Well, it's, I say my hour, me and my buddy Walt Murray, we did The Wilder Ride, which was a Movies by Minutes podcast for seasons one and two. We broke down two different Gene Wilder movies, Young Frankenstein season one, and we did Blazing Saddles for season two. Changed it into kind of a late night talk show format with some goofy bits and some recurring things, plus an interesting guest. Those are all pretty evergreen. You can go check those all out. Four seasons of The Wilder Ride. You can find them on your podcatcher of choice. Just look for The Wilder Ride. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or thewilderride.com. All right. And while you're doing that, you can go rate, review, and subscribe. Many podcatcher might be using to listen to the show. Finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Facebook, you can find me on Twitter, or you can find me on my website, MovieRobMinute.com. So until tomorrow, yippee kaye. Yippee kaye. If you're fond of sand dunes, 
crumbs and salty air. Quaint little village.